0: You're listening to Formby Podcast. In this episode, we're listening to R. Formby. R. Formby is a slideshow by Joan Rimmer. In this episode, she's with Stephen Gerrard, who does all of the music. Absolutely superb. Enjoy.
1: Messages, etc. There. So, first of all, can I say a big thank you to Joe, Steve, and Siobhan coming here today to put on our former memories. And also a big thank you to our projector man, Mark. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, the usual announcements toilets, fire exits. Toilets are down in what I call the vestibule at the bottom, and fire exits here and the bottom. I feel as though I'm on Easy (laughs) Jet. Okay, teas and coffees, please stay in your seats. They're going to be served to you, and we don't want a little queue here. So please stay in your seats and enjoy. Um, we've also put together a list of groups for adults in Formby and it's available on the, on the way out. So we've got, um, it's to let you know about the befriending scheme, Formby Carer Support Group, the Luncheon Club, Cafe Chat, Copper and Chat, the um, Library Coffee Mornings and all events at St. Peter's Church. Oh, in the Chattery. So there's quite a whole list of events, dates and times, that may be, inter- may be useful for you to know what's going on. So I'd like you to sit back and think done all the messages. And the only thing is,
2: Joan's got some books to see. Well, I know that everybody, everybody was expecting to see with
1: me today. And a lot of
2: people didn't know about this, but unfortunately, three weeks uh, this coming Thursday, he had a very bad accident and ended up with a broken hip. Since then, everything went from bad to worse, and he's been in three different hospitals. He's had four operations, but he came home yesterday. So that's really good news because he is going to get better now. But when all this happened, I was in a panic because I thought, well, how am I going to do anything and then I thought of Steve, because we had all three of us done something previously. And I rang Steve, and he has been incredible. It's um, the, the same, you'll be seeing the same pictures, but it is nothing like the show that uh, Mitch and I should have done last year when we had to abandon it. Um, I only saw what we were doing on Saturday, and I didn't know where I was, so I was so confused. Steve and Mark together and worked miracle in this, and it's a different show completely. Dat zijn Nick will uh Steve will carry on
0: Formby and Southport. Often these people are referred to as sandgrounders. Now, to be a sandgrounder, it's quite specific. You have to be born from the River Alt in Formby to the River Nelson in Heskersbank. So, that's part of the geography. You can be called a sand grounder. and you have to have had three generations born. <laughs> within this specific area. So, when we're looking at who is actually a true sand grounder, you have to look at these geographical things and then the family history of, is your great-grandmother born within these two rivers? I'm a blowing. I'm somebody who's a newcomer to Formby, And I came to Formby in 2020, sorry, 2000. Um, So I'm from Cumbria, so I'm a long, long way south here. But Joan's family goes back generations. She is a true Sandbrander. And I think you can see that in the poems that she's written and the stories that she's pulled together beyond superb. Mm -hmm. And I think that's correct, isn't it, Joan? You're a Sandbrander? Yes,
2: that's true, yes. Both sides of my family, my my mother's family
0: were four, my dad's family were in so yes, I am just So that's probably where all the fabulous stories come from. Steve was born here, but his parents only came here in the 1940s. So Steve, although he makes amazing music and sings about characters around Forby, he's actually a new sound grounder. <laughs> How many are true sandgrounders in the audience today? Do we have anybody who can actually say, we've got three generations, great grandmother, born in these, this geographical area? Anybody? No. No, but it really does look like it's just for two. <laughs> <cool. laughs> but everybody's very interested. So I'm called a glow-in. It's one of those things that I um, I have to sort of take along. But I wondered whether I could be an honorary sound grounder because of my interest in the history and the social history and for me. Oh no, no chance. <laughs> 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 but in real <coughs> I I get that, I kind of knew that I was coming. But Joan has worked with glow ins for many, many years, and you are actually quite well known it's, it's not just
2: me. I've discovered that there's lots of areas in the country where little villages are grown and, and they, the, the older people from the village have referred to them as, as blowing. So I didn't realise that until quite recently.
0: So um, so when we're looking at today, I'm going to step back now. No, um, wait a minute, just hang on. <laughs> you said you, you didn't like being a blow, you
2: told me you didn't like being a blowing. Well you know stand here right now without having all these blowings because muriel sidley came in 1949 and it was muriel sidley who pushed and shoved me into publishing the book of poems with her the drawings and if she hadn't done that i would not understand here. i wouldn't be doing anything i'd have done nothing over the years and then when she died in october 1993 we got a new community policeman here pc Dougie knight who very sadly died earlier this year but well, he was amazing, he asked me to help him with things, and he helped me because he did illustrations for his book, I did. And then there was Nick, he came in 1970 and him, look at the things Nick's done. And now you, I mean, she rang me up every single day through the lockdown, and I didn't even know then. It was absolutely amazing. So it's not a, a derogatory thing to be uh, so, a <laughs>
0: So I will leave you to it. I phoned Joan every day during lockdown. She'd done a, an amazing talk at Forby Ladies Golf Club. She had captured these ladies and silenced them, which is quite an effort. And you could hear a pin drop as she you oh, recite one yes, of your poems. So with that, I phoned her because it was so amazing. But she also started my podcast and she started my Instagram. So I'll leave you to it, and I hope you enjoy. I'll stay in time to
3: you know, what's going on down there. And to me, if I was to say oh, what a true sand grounder is, it would be him. Um, just he's got the sand in his blood.
2: Children right through to leaving age. Well, the other three schools—St. Uh, Luke, St. Peter, St. Luke, and Holy Trinity—they um, were absolutely bursting into the seams with children when uh, when they came to live here. Uh, but we did—we all got on really, really well. And a lot of these children—it um, was just a little farming village, loads and loads of fields, and farms, and ditches. And these kids had never ever seen a real life cow or a pig or anything like that. They didn't know that carrots came out of the ground or peas came out of a pod. They just thought sort they of came out of tins, you know. So it was it was really a, a, a very busy time. And it was a time when we were too young to realise how serious everything was. And when Seaforth Barracks got bombed, they built Harrington Barracks here. And um, we got all these troops and soldiers here. I mean, we'd never seen anything like it. It was just a little sleepy village or nothing. And then all these troops were marching around the streets, and they had military bands, and if it was a weekend or a holiday time from school, as soon as we heard the bands, we were, it's like the pipe but children came from all over and followed them and marched along with them. Um, and one of the regiments, the other skinny Fusiliers, they were wearing kilts, and we'd never seen anything, anything like that. No men we'd ever seen wearing skirts. So it was, and we just marched along with them, and it was lovely. And then the following year was when the main bits hit hit Liverpool, and uh, that was just absolutely terrible. It was, li- Liverpool and Brooklyn just bombed out of existence, really. And so that was when we got another influx of people coming into Formby. Whole families came this time, and they just went into any empty houses that were available. Uh, one family near me, they lived in, in a shed on those on, uh, Farm, but it was a very, very nice shed, and they loved it, and they stayed there long, long. So the population began to grow enormously from about seven to eight thousand when I was at school. That um, by the nineteen fifty by nineteen fifty it had grown to ten thousand because once the war was over, these people who nowhere nowhere to go back to, they had to be housed if you wanted to stay here. And so um, there were a few um, individual builders at the buildings that went up, but not really very many. But there was the first um, council buildings came in Alderson Crescent on a farmer's field there, and um, uh, I'm just trying to think. Yes, that's right. The building, the buildings all started, and also um, we had at that time we had nine policemen employed at that time mm-hmm. in 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 just during the war time. We had uh, one living in the police station itself, six living in houses alongside and one inspector in o Mill Lane in a rented police house, and one in School Lane. And then right after the war, in 1948, they decided um, that, well, that it was actually county police then, and they decided that they needed some more policemen. So they built another six houses opposite uh, what is now um, uh, Dongawijus. And so we had 15 policemen for me in the 1950s when we've got no crime. It was absolutely the and They all loved it. They wanted put every policeman in the county force wanted to get to Fordham. And the difference then was that we knew and we were only a small community, and we all knew every policeman by name. We were, we were, and they just knew most of us as well. It was just, uh, it was just really, really nice. And it wasn't until 1959, when Arthur Briscoe built the Park Road Estate, that the place really began to grow has gone on growing and growing and growing since
3: then. And um, I think probably that's where you come in next, don't you, with the... Uh... Um, yeah, well, you know, my family came here in um, 1947, uh, but the, my grandmother was um, basically bombed out of Liverpool. Um, she had four children, and when the bomb started falling, like so many families, she was terrified. I got on a train with the four children,
2: 50s. And there were nothing like the few that are here now because they were just very small. Little most of them were only Wattle and Door. There were some brick ones, and they just had normal or made straw from the farms on them. And uh, <coughs> the next one, please. Uh, this is right in the middle of Phillips Lane. There's a little pathway running off to the right that goes from Phillips Lane into Duke Street now. And on the other side is Dickinson Road. Uh, this was Tyree's farm here, where Tyree's Close is now. And it, it went, it was a, the middle bit was very, very muddy and sloppy all the year round. And as you went ahead through that little pass um, through the trees, you came to Duke Street Park on the right hand side. Next one, please. Um, these are some little fishermen's cottages in Cheapside, all totally different now, very, very different. Next one, please. Uh, oh yes, we had quite a few blacksmiths forges in, in Formby, uh, because we were a rural community. And this one is where the shops are in Little Olco, where the Zebner Crossing is. This is. And there's a bungalow on the site of where this was, and it was just one of several. Uh, and they didn't just shoe the horses, they used to make the wheels and make farm carts, everything to do with um, with farming. And just opposite this one where the shops are, well, no, where the flats are now, that was another little um, blacksmith's place as well. Um, this is on the corner of Cheapside and Liverpool Road, right opposite Ray Mills Lane. And it's um, Sutton's farm. And the old ladies Anne Sutton, and those are two of her grandchildren on <coughs> the cart. And um, one of those little boys, he, they're both dead now but one of, um, the, the, one of their grandchildren was still living on the site in the bungalows that were built where this was. And if you imagine you're going across the Tesco's today and you're sitting at the traffic lights waiting to go across and look to the left where the apartments are, this is where this picture was taken. And that's Jimmy Lowe, um, he, he was you known as the asparagus farmer, but he was also around, uh, he had an horrible father. And this picture is of his da- one of his daughters. He had four daughters and two sons. And the girls wo- worked every bit as hard as the men. Um, and this is Vera, Marjorie Strong's mother. For anybody that knows Marjorie, um, at the plough there. With uh, the bay- the um, bypass runs right across where this picture is- was taken. And then we go over to just off Ravenhill's Lane. This is Bill's Lane is totally totally changed in fact it's just gone really and this was a, a farmhouse um, which belonged uh, for a, a, a long time ago by a family called Holsall and one of them became a bishop in the uh, Catholic Church. The last people that were there um, in the end of it was um, two brothers called Fletcher and they used to sell duck eggs from there. The little uh, holes at the top was a kitchen loft. It's just totally totally changed. Well, uh, and this is my granddad, James, Robert James Rimmer. And um, he's a bit of a mystery man because he was born in 1875 in a little bungalow, in a little thatch cottage in Paradise Lane, which is long since gone, and being replaced by a pair of bungalows. But why on earth he went to Alca? Because uh, this photograph is within in Alca. There were loads of farms in Formby and he was a farm labourer and, and went to Olka. And worked for a, a farmer called Miles Burgess, and uh, I don't know, I can't understand why he went there, but I'm glad he did because he married one of one of Miles Burgess's daughters, and she was the best grandmother anybody could have. had And um, it, it, they used to, he and the other farm neighbours used to load the carts up, um, and then they would go all the way to Liverpool with the produce for the market, and it's an awful long way from Alca. No bypass, then, of course, and they would just go all the way to Alcra on that in the very early hours of the morning. And then, um, when they'd done all that, they would probably get tired and they just fell asleep on the back of the lorry, and the horse would find its own way back in, back to Alcra again.
3: Okay, this is um, another poem that John wrote, I'm sure some of you will be familiar with it, which describes um, rural what life as like in
2: House Lane from Kenyon's Lane and just behind the trees there was a little farm, Chapel House farm, and then in the middle behind the trees was the priest house. That was built in 1712 by Richard and Mary Thornby as a home for the priest. And it was there until 1958 when you couldn't knock it down, but they blew it up with dynamite because it was so solidly built. And just round the, the corner off the picture is where I live. This is on the corner of Priesthouse Lane where five roads all met together. There was Priesthouse Lane, Kenyons Lane, Watcharp Lane, Bullcock and Flaxfield Road. It's not a bit like that now. I don't remember this, it was demolished before I came along. But the little house in the background is still there and that's in Kenyons Lane. And this, these, there were several of these um, pinfolds around for me. And it was for any stray cattle that were were about, and they were <coughs> rounded up and put inside there until the farmers would <coughs> come and collect them and reclaim them and take them back to the to the proper farm. Um, I, I took this picture from the bypass end, looking down Bull Cop, and the man standing—that's my dog on the left hand side there—and uh, the man standing by the trees. Um, is just about where the Gardner Road estate is now. And where he is there, it was a great big swamp and we used to go there in the winter, skating, well, sliding with our wellies and up there. And in the far distance is where Jindo had his arable farm. And the, the left-hand side, where the dog is, there was a little stile there and you walked across it into what was then Council Avenue, which has been renamed Burlington Avenue. And the fields further on, are part of the uh, Our Lady's playing fields. And this is your church here. We're looking at it from Duke Street, and on the right hand side behind the trees, that's the Methodist Church, and the little cottage um, in front of it was um, a a little thatch cottage. Mr. Barrett was a shoemaker and a shoemender, and uh, we're looking down towards the village area. And the, I think the next Oh, no, I'm sorry,
3: that's not... This is... This is this yours? I Is Is this, this well, yours? Like that, um, is yours? Um, is is, is that, This is Brooks', Brooks is. It? Oh, yes, this is where the Brookses
2: live. Um, over at... at um, it, the people who own farm far foods live in that. Not that house has been demolished. But it's over where the asparagus farm is. I, I don't know all these new names. I think it's... Um, what's the right near St. Jerome's? It's near there. Oh, okay. oh, yes, that'll be it, yes. So, um, I didn't know that was in, actually, so... that's no, no, on no, 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 yeah. oh, no. That's from Australia, yeah.
0: yeah.
3: OK, we'll talk to you. It's will talk to it. so you. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's, done it's done it. done the slides. Yeah, can we have the next one more?
2: No, that shouldn't be there. Just pass on with that one. And oh, this is the one. That should have followed from the one, because that is, is, is this church, looking at um, the Methodist church, and um, all the cows were from the farm in Duke Street, which is close to where the, the park is now. The, build, the, the, the farm is still there, and Steve lived there, but just to go on about this, these cows were right up opposite on the big field there, and then uh, we can see the farm now.
3: There yeah, we are, that okay. yes, that, that's where I Yes, that's when my parents uh, moved It's in Duke Street. Summer. It's in Duke Street. So, anybody really see it very close to the road? If you go to the end of the road here, turn right onto Duke Street, about four or five houses along is an old farmhouse. Was, it was Duke's farmhouse, but that's actually taken from the back of the house. Uh, I was invited to go in there um, a few years ago, and it's totally, utterly changed from what we knew.
2: the roundabout was built. And they went over the bridge to all the fields of Kirkland Road. And the building in the background there, it was the, the um, Citizens Advice Bureau, but I don't know quite what it is. But half of it was demolished to make way for the library car park. And the library is just behind the trees there. And it was next door where Dr. Science lived. And these cows were just going on. And the little building, I don't know Yes, that, the little tiny building was the coal the uh, coal office during the war when everything was rationed? Yeah. And this is another farm in um, Watchard Lane, right opposite the Smithy Green estate. It's what it, a, it's where I mean, Watts once actually. now. And it was it was sometimes called Captain Farm, sometimes Smithy Brown Farm. But there were so many of these little farms all over the place. It's near getting near towards um Cable Street. Um, carry on please. And this is Evie Walker that we were talking about. He had a small little um small holding. Not, he moved away from, from the park area and he went to it's still there that well it's been altered greatly but the building's still there on the corner of Alka Road and um, Church Road. His um, barn's on the opposite side of the road where there's some houses now. And he used to go all around the area with his daughter Sheila, who was on the cart with him. And they used to sell green groceries all around Thornby. And his horse was stabled in um, a, a barn at um, in Bull Cup at Jimmy Lowe's farm. And unfortunately, some kids set the barn on fire, and the horse perished in the fire. And it wasn't really long after that that, uh, it, that he died as well. Can I just say to that one
3: as well, they actually delivered fruit and vegetables, it was when we were at Duke's farmhouse, so in 1953, 54, 55, he was still delivering. Yeah. An yeah, well, and I remember it's it's the good, one a yeah. little
2: yeah. yeah. And then this is another farm opposite my road, it's in Kenyon's Lane and it's the back of the farm. <coughs> um, it was just, it was Ake uh, uh, Shaw's farm. It was only very small, she just kept a few cows and um, a little orchard at the side. And the next picture will show you her at her gate. This is the front of it in, in um, Kenyon's Lane. And, oh, she was a very hard-working woman. And her cow was on the field in, in Priesthouse Lane, opposite to my house. Um, and she's got the bottles there, and she's got the, um, the, the tin cans in her hand as well. She once went all the way to Olcote for a bag of hay because it was a bit cheaper than Jimmy Lowe who lived across the road. <laughs> And then this is Jimmy Lowe here at the first farm he had when he, came, when he started farming. And this was in the talk where the shops are, and he's at the end with his hands in his um, waistcoat. And he always, he's a hardworking man, but he always wore, wore a collar and tie. And these are some of his workmen. And just after he was there, he moved down to uh, Bullcock, which was where he stayed for his arable farming. And this is outside his farm in Bullcock. Uh, with some of the um, workmen and cows. In, behind the trees is now Gardner Road. And the next picture, uh, that, well, that's one I took in 1962. Uh, that was looking across what's now Gardner Road, and the houses in the background are Watcher Lane. And this was another one at the same time, and that was taken from the bypass, and it's again, it's Gardner Road, and right in the distance is Jimmy Lowe's um, other farms. Farm, the, the and this is uh, way over to Freshfield Road, on just opposite Grange Lane. And this has a plaque on it now for, for Thomas Fresh, who was the man who brought Freshfield Station to me Was at that time, I think it was uh, belonging to a family called Wright. It's it's, it's just sticking out of the bit that you have to go sort of round it to get to Freshfield Station. And this was a picture from a 1937 newspaper, but it looks to me older than 1937. And it's over where the, 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 life, where the um, lighthouse was. Uh, it was actually on the borders of Hightown, but it was always known as the former lighthouse. And this is pea picking, um, which loads of people did all things like that at that time. And the little house alongside it was built um, for the lighthouse keeper and later, the man who was the lifeboat coxswain, the lifeboat, but it was built in as a landmark. It wasn't built as a light, it was just built as a landmark in 1719, I think it was. But it did, It hardly shone its light as a lighthouse because it was only lit from the yeah, 1830s for five years, and then again, a bit later on, for another five years. And then in 1941, it was considered too much of a, 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 a landmark the German planes that were coming over to everybody. So it was demolished then. And this is, um, we, we were famous for asparagus, and this is an asparagus field at the end, of, at the Forby end, not the Freshfield end, the Forby end. And when you look at the height of those sand hills, and they all had to be dug by horses and by hand, men with shovels, to lower it all to get to the sand because it was perfect for growing asparagus. So it was very, very hard work. And the young man sitting there was the body servant. And I really don't know what that was. For Miles, Miles Balby, who lived at Kirk Lake Bank, and he was their asparagus field, as asparagus field. But he was a, a disabled man, so maybe that was what this body servant was. Okay,
3: well, we picked up from that, but Jimmy Lowe was probably the most famous of the asparagus. It's sad to see that this sparrow is now, um, something, there's only one or two fields left. Uh, the Brooks family have been running. Jimmy Lowe was actually famous nationwide, right throughout this country.
2: have been grown for many generations here, but it was Jimmy who would put them on the map because when he started uh, asparagus farming in the 1920s, um, he didn't just sell it locally, he used to send bat- basket out from his uh, pine tree Farm, pine tree farm uh, on the <coughs> a three o'clock train from Freshfield, so that it would be in all the markets the following day. And he actually was the uh, national champion um, seven times, uh, with his asparagus and it would have been oh sorry six times it would have been seven but the um, the year he didn't get it it snowed in nineteen thirty five the year I was born and um, it, and his crop was all lost. So he was very, very well known. and um, in this picture he's got um, all some of his he's got he had four daughters but three of them are in this picture with their children. Uh, I mentioned Marjorie Strong before, and she's there in the arms of her mum with her hand on the car, <coughs> horse's Bridle, and her sister's on the top. Um, I went to school with all of them, and I was very friendly with them all. And uh, the, the dog was Peter, and he was 21 when he died. Now this little fellow on the end, I started school on the same day as him, and I think you've got a picture of him now. But we, 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 we're still here from him. but we're we a bit it. the worst for wear now, but um, I think you've got a picture of Yes,
3: it is. <laughs> I think many of you know Derek.
2: Derek Perry uh, uh, he, he was uh, He was in, in. Do you remember? <laughs> he was in the uh, in this picture. He was at St Luke's one recently, doing his dancing for the, uh, the the songs that were being played in St Luke's Garden. So I think he helps the
3: care quite a bit. Yes, I think he does. Now you can probably do it. These wheels uh, here were, uh, until a few years ago, were actually in one of the asparagus fields. I don't know if anybody remembers them if you walk down there. And they've now been removed, and I think they've been put somewhere in the National Trust offices. Um, I don't know. That was once a very beautiful asparagus field, and a small, beautiful uh, place. Uh, and then the next slide shows this with asparagus trails. I think Yep, it has disappeared. These, this particular sculpture is gone. Yeah. yeah, I was down there the other night looking.
2: But where his farm was, I mean, it was way out in the sea. The sea must have come in at least half a mile, if not more, since his farm was there, because the place that was the bunching sheds is now where the car park is, and that was way, way back, a long way back from, um, from the sea. So, what I didn't know it disappeared. No. Yeah. I think that one's still
3: there.
2: This was um, no, you, know so it, so it, so you know this, you know this. It was a carving in, in a tree. Of the way they did the work for the asparagus, <coughs> which shows the steep height of the um, of, of the sandhills and the cart at the bottom of them. Oh, and this is Mr. Aindow, the other asparagus farmer. They were far, they were farming long before Jimmy Lowe, and this is a, just a picture of his of carting equipment.
3: That's yeah. the, um, the asparagus field just behind. Them. The Brooks's family who still crow asparagus, or have been doing. Um, that's the last field that they planted. I think they may be doing one more. But when I stopped to talk to David Brooks about two months ago, he said, This is the um, this field is now in London for six years, we've got to leave it for six years, we're gonna move on to another one. But after that, he said, I said, Well, who's taking over after that? And he said, Don't know yeah, whether we've got anything to he was
1: village. on television with that. Yes. Yeah. The village. The village? I well, I've seen the well, well, off we go with the
2: village then. Am I just talking about this now? Yes, oh well, oh well. I'm sorry, I'm really sorry about this. I'm not used to it with, 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 with Steve, but he's very good to have done all this. Yes, this is a very old picture when there was a little cottage on the corner which used to be Barclays Bank, so we could just pass on with that one. Um, this was the same view, but with before the roundabout came. And this was Rimmer's shop on the corner, which is, it is at the moment, Lloyds Bank, heavens knows what it's going to be. But this was, um, the Rimmer, they're no relation to me, but they all lived alongside of me. And they were a marvellous family, really, because um, the business was founded in 1844, and it was still there until the 1960s. But this was um, at a time when they were so big, the Christmas period this would be, when all the stock that they had, turkeys, geese, everything, were all there outside. And this is the whole family there. Um, Richard Thornby was the one who started the business, and it was taken over by all the family after that. There were a big family, there were six of them, three women and three men. And the little boys in the picture Mm -hmm. eventually took over the business, and they all lived above there, um, in the, in, above the shop, which like I say is now a Lloyd's Bankers. And that's Jimmy, one of the children of them. And he was, he was a, the longest serving chairman for any authority, I think, in history, because he was 11 times the chairman of the Urban District Council, and he's here with John Breed, who was the uh, clerk of the council. And he was such a lovely man. He was very, very kind to us. I mean, he was a good neighbour of ours, and, and he was also
3: also uh, a neighbour of ours. Yes. Yeah. Well, his
2: family built the two pairs of houses in My Road in Priest House Lane, and they all lived in them. And then he later moved to Duke Street. And he had uh, one of the first houses to be built after the war was the one next door to you. And he um, eventually became
3: Justice
2: of the Peace, didn't he? Oh, he was a JP, and he had the MV as well. It seems
3: lovely,
2: tell a story, um, about uh, Oh gosh.
3: Should...
2: We're being forever and yeah. we do this. Well, do you I mind? Well, there was I think it's the one been, Nelly, no, it's uh, oh, not not that, about Nelly. No, that That little book. I'll, I'll get little oh book. right, yeah. Well it's in that little book if people have got that little book I'd recently draw you'll have heard it before. Yes, um, this boy he had they all had order boys in shops and you didn't get paid very much but they used to deliver everything free to all the customers. And this little lad had been going, he, he went to, he delivered, he was coming back from delivery, and it was going dark, he, he, he was we only about 12, and he'd gone after school, and it was, by the time he got back, he would no lights on the bike, but it was dark when he got back, and the policeman stopped him, and he said, look, I've told you umpteen times about this, that riding without lights, and you keep doing it, so this time, I'm going to find you, I'm going to get you and find you and teach you a lesson. And he said, no, you won't, this little cocky boy. And uh, anyway, he, they did. And when he got to the court, which was in the council offices, it was Jimmy was the magistrate. And he said to this boy, we're calling him John, and he said to John, um, will you give me your full name, please? And he said, well, you know who I am. And he said, well, I need to ask you to give me your full name. And he said, but I'm your order." so you know who I am. And he said, please don't be impertinent. I cannot continue until you give me your full name. So he told me. And then, of course, he must have hated doing this because he was he was a lovely man. But he couldn't show any, you know, advantages to his own staff. So he said, well, it's, it was it's a very dangerous thing to do. You could have got killed yourself, or you could have had an accident, caused another accident. So I'm very sorry to say I've got to find you. Two and sixpence for this offence, you may go. Well, the poor lad went off being very aggrieved about this. And I do think that his father went to see Jimmy later on and gave him the two and sixpence back. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that
3: was, that was how it was. Yes. Yeah. I think in Gorky in those days, if you got into any trouble of any time, first thing that would happen.
2: More or less how it was until quite recently, really. So we'll carry on to the next one. Now, this is round the corner into Holstall Lane, and that is now Marks and Spencer's. And this is only taken in, I think it was 1965, uh, well, 60, yes, yeah, 65. I, I took that one. And there were the little cottages uh, where those shops, all that row of shops are now in Holston Lane. And at the end, where the, sort of, the lamppost. post, that's where you go into Fergus Avenue for the car park but one of the cottages in the middle was where the Wright family, who were the famous rose growers, yes. lived. And what is now the car park behind there, uh, that's where they grew all their uh, roses. It's a beautiful area. And the end cottage eventually became a little green grocers for a very short time. Crosstons, I think it was called. Yeah. Yeah. Now this is round the other way, into Three Threeton's Lane, And when you look at that, that picture there, The house on the end has been demolished, but the the brick doorway is still there, and that's the entrance to the letter shop in uh, opposite to Waitrose. And the former hardware stores moved from there to where they are now, and Joan Holden, who had that shop, moved back there, moved there, so they did a swap over. And uh, the next picture I'll show you, uh, and that is Ray Maddeku who who took over the shop from Sophie Smith, Sophie Smith, he retired um, Ray and his father took it over. And Dominic used to say all sorts of things. Four candles and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, It was 1957 when they got it. And this is further down, which is now a pet shop, uh pet food shop on the corner of um, York Road and Freethons Lane. It was, um, when we were children, it was the Gents Outfitters. And then Joan Holder took it over, which probably many of you will remember. Fantastic shop, you could get anything at all in that shop. It's like a jungle sale, but they always knew where everything was. And during the war, there was a food office on the other end, the end of the far side. And this is the corner not so long ago that was demolished to make way, I think it's a financial advisor or an estate agent mm-hmm. on the corner by the roundabout mm-hmm. in Halser Lane, School Lane. Um, and that was. Um, before that it was slated as a grocer's and also it was the first public library we had in Forming in one of the, it's tiny little shop. Next one please. And everybody will remember that that was here at the time. That's just opposite the um, entrance to Waitrose and it was called The Homesteader and it was lovely. It just sold all sorts of stuff and I hadn't noticed this but Nick noticed it there was a notice on the side that said Junk Shop, and the junk was spelled J-U-N-Q-U-E. <laughs> so that was there, and the next door again to that was the first, first the old schoolhouse, <coughs> the first one to be built in for me. But we haven't got a picture of that one, so the next one. Um, and this is then um, back to the village again, and we're just looking down towards the uh, post office end. These are the uh, elm trees that were all alongside Derbyshire's and down that side before the Dutch elm came in. Um, Pretty much, Uh, this is on the left hand side now, where those verandas are, that is where the doctor's surgery is now. And there were verandas all the way down that side uh, with just little individual shops. There were 46 little individual shops in that village and now it's pretty hard to find any really. Oh, I took that one one Christmas, it's, uh, it's just a, a Christmassy shot. And this one is outside what, where the gas showrooms are. That is now Boots, and that's my mum. I did take it for her, I just took it for the, um, the pictures, because we used to always have um, a, a, an art show in the village, and I think we, we do so Do we still have that? We still have the showrooms? Yeah. But that was it, and, and so there was the gas showrooms there, and then there was um, Dally's next door, and I think the next picture might be that one. Yes, this is, this is when decimalisation first came in. And the lady with the sash on is Jean Leamy who had a key kick for me. And the man next is the manager of Dally's. And uh, the others are just some customers uh, with, uh, with, the, uh, the, with the new currency. Derbyshire is the very oldest place to shop in the village now. Probably the only one left that's um, owned by the people. And this was um, Michael Lawrence at Charter's Butchers. Um, And that cow's head above it, it was a cow that had run amok from Ipshaw's farm. And they were trying to get it to bring it to be slaughtered here. And it uh, just ran all over the place. And when they did eventually catch it, he said, right, well, it wasn't my job. It was Mr. Charters way back in, in time. And um, they just said, right, you're going on the wall and we we'll won't forget you in a hurry. So that's what happened to it. And then when the shop was closed, um, a sort of man I know very, very well, he bought that thing and took it home. I'm sure his wife must have been delighted. <laughs> <laughs> and he still got it in his uh, shell. Oh, yes, this is um, Tommy Make in the barber, and he was where, next door to Bruff's Butchers. And um, he had two sons, Charlie, who worked with him in that shop, and Leo, who had another barber uh, shop right down at the river on by Forty Station. And Ewing's, that was next door to what was, uh, well, it's the general stores now. It was the Royal Bank of Scotland, and they had a bakery in Three Tuns Lane. They sold all sorts of uh, homemade uh, confectionery. The the little girl, the the, the woman is is the daughter of Mrs. Ewing, and the two little girls are her children. And that was taken in in the 60s, I think about 1962 or three. And that's Mrs. Ewing getting some cakes out of the window. No gloves, you see. It didn't seem to matter. Nobody was ill, but uh, Mm -hmm. she's just getting something out of the window.
3: Um, This is where my family moved to, the Duke's Farm House, an old dry rot episode. Uh, My mother began to to decide like to come shop, because we rented this shop from one of the bigger landlords. And um, we lived above it, and it was a little sweet shop by window, and my father painted, because he was an artist, he painted the sign of buddy shops, a quality shop, and above them we would grow flowers. So it was a very, very pretty little shop. And next so where that is now where you're looking at, where actually it's my friend and I, Jeff Bellis, just by the tree there. Um, where you where you're looking at it now, next to the left of there is Evans's cottage. I don't know how many people remember that. Just um, to let them get the bearing. It's now Woodwards. It's Woodward. now Woodwards. Yeah, Woodwards, Woodward's
2: Wine Bar. Woodwards
3: um wine um, Wine yeah. So we had a gardener. A lot of the shops had long arms at the back, which went right across the car park or halfway across to meet the, car and the houses on Crofton Road, their gardens. Um, but the Evans Cottage there, they, they were a bit of a grumpy old pair of. Uh, I say that because one of my sister and I. Taylor's, Mr Taylor. Yeah. Um, so, it's quite it's a gap there. There a bench before that. A yeah. News agents? News agents, yes. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, at this time, they were all, they were looking to redevelop the village, and we were told in the 1960s it was time to go by the landlord, and there was a petition, thousands of people saying, you're getting rid of all our old, old shops, the individual shops, but they did not listen, they just, we were out, and that was that, and so we were so um, very sad very sad indeed so the end of the-
2: Our school, it's on the site of what is now the post office and all those shops going towards the pool. And it was, um, it says Primary Hotel here, but when we were at school, it was just a, a house belonging to an old lady called Mrs. Leggett. And this was when it was sold, and Mrs. Vandervoort bought it. And she, it was a very brief period that it was a hotel, very, very short time. Yeah. And that's our school on the left hand side. Speedway there as well. Both of us went
3: a little bit of distance in yeah. between, but we've got quite the same just,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, well, Just a minute, because behind, I'll just tell them where they are so they don't okay. get lost. Because okay. behind all those trees there, that's now, Galabunties um, used to be there, but it's now the post office and, and all those other shops. Uh, and Elber Lane running off at of the side of it. Yeah. And this is the same view again. And that was our post office on the (coughs) left-hand side. And then the bank is now Emily's, and our school next door. And this is the main classroom in in my school. My cousin John is in that picture somewhere, but so many of those people are no longer with us now. It's only a tiny little school, just three classrooms, three teachers, and a very, very tiny dollar. My friends. It, this was the infants class, and there was a big there was a big fireplace, wasn't there? A big yeah. fire and a going around, and a rocking horse in the corner. And uh, that little boy was Ken Pinkstone, if anybody remembers Ken. And there we are with our headmistress. This was on their leaving day, which she absolutely hated. She seemed to have been there forever because... Um, and that's uh, Arthur Thompson, the vicar, giving her silver tray as a reading gift. Mrs. Brown was a teacher at the the high school, at the Secondary Modern School, on the front row clapping (coughs) her hands with a white hat. I think, earlier on, so <clears throat> we'll see the next one. Uh, that's the boathouse on the left there, and the cottage just behind it. Jo- um, John Aindell lived in that um, cottage, and he used to have to record the tide times every 15 minutes through the, through the day. Um, and you can see that the sand hills are quite steep there. And this is a very old picture of the boathouse. It did look like that in, in my day. It was um, the very, very first one in the whole world, 1776, when that was built. And it was responsible for saving the lives of over 200 <coughs> sh- uh, shipwrecked sailors that would most definitely not have survived. And um, it, w- it operated from 1776 right through to 1918. The last boat went out in 1916, and then it, it, was, there. it was closed, and a family moved in, and um, the Norrises moved. Well it was the Angos first and then the Morrises and um, uh, it was eventually um, they had to leave it in 1958 and eventually it was just uh, all pulled down. This is a model that Pete Morris who lived in the boathouse made and it's a brilliant model because it's, it's perfectly to scale and it shows the lifeboat being pulled out of the ship, out of the, the boat house uh, before it was carried down to the shore. With the lifeboat men around it. It's very, very. I don't know where it is now. I do you
3: know where it is? I a He's still got to right. sure. Oh, it may be in the new museum, they you're going to have in the village.
2: Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and this just shows how the sand hills can be so very steep, it's uh, practically covering the boathouse in that. Period. And this was all that was left a few years ago, but since then I think it's gone completely. I, I think, there's there's there. I, think the next, I think there's one of it. Well, that that was I don't think that's left even oh, that yeah, yeah. you now. So. so it's such a shame, you know, with such a history, but there you go to so the next one. And these are the famous Lifeboat Endows. That's John Endow in the middle with four of his seven sons, and he was a very remarkable man. He was the um, he was he stayed on the lifeboat as a lifeboat man until um, he was seventy one years of age. Forty eight years he spent on the lifeboat, and twenty five of those he was the cox of the boat. And here's a picture of the whole crew. Um, what what happened was the boat, the horses would be um, commandeered from any local uh, uh, farmers or coalmen, and that they would. Uh, put the uh, boat on the trailer, tow it down to the, sh- to the sea, and then the horses would wade into the water until the boat was afloat. And they would be, be uh, taken back and waited in the uh, boathouse for them coming back again. And there was one occasion in, the, in, 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 I think it was 1836, when five of those lifeboat men were drowned in an attempted rescue. It was a terrible, terrible time. And 38 children were left without fathers. It was was dreadful. And one of them was a man called Robert Thornby. And his wife, Ellen Thornby, she was expecting her 14th child again at the time. And um, they were awarded, all the widows were awarded two shillings a week for life, which doesn't sound very much, but perhaps in 1836 it might not have been too bad. But I've seen her gravestone in St Peter's Churchyard. And and it says on it, and you can't doubt it because it's there the date of her death and her age. And they never expected to be paying out a pension this long. But she lived, it's, it's a great age now. 104 when she died. And if you want to see the, the, the gravestone, so it's just as you go inside the gates of St. Peter's on the left-hand side. And um, what a terrible time it was for them all, really. And then the lifeboat. It was the Conservative Club. And before that, it was the Our Ladies Men's Club. And when the um, Conservative Club left it, Wetherspoon proposed calling it the Bowling Green. And um, Nick saw this, and Nick wasn't having any of that, because he said, it should be something special, and not because we're losing a Bowling Green. We don't want that. So he suggested it should be the lifeboat, and, and they accepted it. And these were the lifeboat men from Southport who came on the day that it was opened.
3: Uh, just a little bit about the shipwrecks on the shore. You know, there's two main ones that you can see down there in the stand by where the boat house used to be. One closer to the boat house was the Ionic Star, and the one further to the left was the Pigou. I've got a story about the Pigou because I happened to invite four true sandgrounds grounds to my house one day. They being Joe, Peter Norris, who used to live in the boat house, Brian Brank and Peter, to live on the shore, and Stan Warhol, Four real sandgrounds, true sandgrounds in my house, and we got talking about a variety of subjects, but the main one was the shipwrecks. Brian Brankin said uh, it was about 94.
2: Brian Brankin
3: was 10 years older than me, so he knew a lot more. He knew a lot more in Germany. So, yeah, at the time, he's still alive. Um, So, he started off with a story and he said, Well, I used to live on the shore. He said, In the big red, red brick. Houses on the corner of Alexander and Albert Cole. <coughs> he said, and I, my bedroom was the attic. He said, so one night he said, I was looking out of the window and he said, and I saw this ship just staying still. And he said, well, it looks like it's got stuck on the sandbank on Taylor's Bank. And anyway, it was true because that night the people were had to be evacuated off that ship and taken to Liverpool. Um, but the next morning, Brian Banking, with his friend Ronnie Carr, went down onto the shore to see. See this ship, and what they found on the shore, okay, I'm sure some of you know, is crates of whiskey. <laughs> it's just like whiskey galore, well, isn't it? Like whiskey before, it's <laughs> just the same. And there were was, was other things: there were singer sewing machines, there were tins of cigarettes, there were barrels of barley wine.
2: The Queens was next door to uh, the lifeboat place. It's now a furniture shop. And the embassy was opposite the grapes, and I think it's a gym now. So we had that, um, and we had uh, we we were members of the football supporters club. We had a good football team as well at that time, um, where the pool is now. And um, we used to go to away matches, and we thought we were going miles, but nobody had cars or anything. And we used to go in a coach and um, we went to places like Marina, Crosby and St. Helens. You know, we thought we were going miles. And one of the matches was uh, from St. Helens, and Bert Troutman was the goalkeeper. Now, he became a very famous footballer, and he played for uh, Manchester City. He was the goalie when they were at Wembley, and he broke his neck and continued on to the end of the game. So that was one of those. We also had the flower show, which was absolutely brilliant. That came better after the after the war, because um, it was just wonderful. It was in the park, but it was nothing like the flower shows we saw in recent years. And we used to have, um, well, it was an agricultural as well as a horticultural show. And my granddad used to bring one of the cows down. My uncle Joe would bring a horse. and um, Lots of farmers exhibited things. And um, it was the, one, the biggest one-day show in the whole country in the 1950s. So that was lovely. And then we had an annual gala. And that was organised by Our Ladies Church in a field in White House Lake St. George, King George V Playing Fields, which was where the British Legion had their um, headquarters at the end. And uh, that was good. We used to go there. And um, there were the, there were the as I got older, there were the dances at the Guildhall, I never went to them, but loads of people did. Um, we've got youth clubs uh, and it was a great childhood really. Um, with these lot that used to go to the Guild Hall, um, Saturday night was the Three G's night, the grapes, the Guild and the girls, <laughs> um, and uh, the National Service ended in 1958 um, and that was when um, the camp was wound up and everybody uh, came. We had the Queen Mother came here one, um, in 1955, she was um, K- Colonel-in-Chief of the King's Regiment and uh, she came right through the village in, in a gorgeous car, but it was with rain, and she was—I saw her. I was waiting to watch her go past, and then um, she had a, a brilliant yellow outfit on, and um, it was—it was just that it wasn't the closing ceremony or anything like that. I'm not quite sure now what it was, but uh, all that was great because we could just we we did all sorts of things outside. But best of all was the shore because we got we went down there from a very early age. Um, we didn't have any schools at that time. All the came was later. <laughs> But, but we did have we had a super time. The Dolch House was a cafe, and we would wander around the sand hills looking for bottles, bottles, and take them to the cafe to back to Mrs. Norris at the the House and she would um, give us some money for for them or give us an extra uh, drink. So so it was great. But the show was the best of all.
3: Right, I think so. Yes. Well, I have oh, me right. a memory of this place that's coming up now, which is Lark Hill. and It's a very special place for us as boys when we were younger. It doesn't look like on that photograph. The laugh hill when you get to the top and you look down, it's going down. Jerry Walkers and Hall, playing split the kipper, first of all, by Kitty Cabanas where the pines stood tall. Racing, chasing, jiving with names all along the sandy gated lanes. Daring to do, we ran on and on to the stickleback ditches and that ponds. Across the fields, to green loons and Lark Hill where the pine would have waited, quiet and still. This was the land of Westwood Ho, David Crockett and Geronimo. With catapults, sticks, and homemade bows, we fought the battle of the Alamo. All day long, the battle raged, buckaroos and Texans bold and brave, howling like hyenas, we fell and we bled, the wounded, the captured, the dead and half dead, hiding in hollows, trapezing through trees, splinters, stings, bruised and grazed knees. Through brambles br- and bushes, we scrambled our way, like hairs sundered. The cheek was waved. And there, exhausted and thirsting, we lay in the tall grass of summer, happy to say we'd all survive and we would all live to fight another day.
4: Tasker was a hermit who lived on Fonby sands in a broken down cabin hidden in the dunes he spent his days beach calling for whatever he could find remnants from another world the one he left behind From the great war he'd seen a lot of strife Some say there were scars from the battle's endless noise Broken and downhearted he followed his inner voice He was a quiet and solitary man His footprints fading in the sand Western winds and ever-changing skies shone in his eyes He walked the lonely shore each day Carrying an old gray sack With a tribe of weary stray dogs And a couple of scrawny cats I watched him from a distance As he followed in his stride as he filled his sack with bits of coal Left by the tide and In his tiny cabin warm by an old wood stove The works of Keats and Shelley A Bible and an old chessboard On a bed of moss Lay a bird with a broken wing It was his way to be a friend smallest of living things. He was a quiet and solitary man, his footprints fading in the sand, the western winds and ever-changing skies shone in his eyes. They slowly took their toll Bill was getting old He was found by two fishermen Hungry and cold They sent for Dr. Diamond But all was in vain And he left for his spiritual home As poor as he came Those who knew him smile And say they see him to this day As he walks along the shoreline with his canine company Seabirds follow him so close they could almost touch This man who spoke so little and somehow said so much He was a quiet and solitary man His footprints fading in the sand Western winds and ever-changing skies shine in his eyes.
0: You've been listening to Formby Podcast. If you have a story that you'd like us to capture, you'd like us to share, email us at formbypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.